0: Have your Bible, if you would please take your Bible with me. We'll hold it high as we say our Bible decree. Let's say this together. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. And if you have your Bible, turn if you would, please, to Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight. Isaiah Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. We're going to be talking about a fresh vision for revival. A fresh vision for revival. I believe that in our churches today, we need revival. Amen. God needs to get a hold of people's hearts. And today, this message is not going to be uh, just a sermon. I hope that you can walk away saying that this message is going to be personal for you and that you will learn from God's Word. Now, as I read this to you, before I may kind of set up just a, a platform or a tone for for the narrative today, the year of King Uzziah's death was approximately 740 B.C. He remained leprous until he died because he tried to take over the high priest's duties, which was found in Second Chronicles 26, verses 18 through 21. Although Uzziah was generally a good king with a long and prosperous reign, Many of his people turned away from God. We'll also notice in the latter part of this text, Isaiah's vision was his commission to be God's messenger. We're going to learn today that Isaiah's vision was his commission to be God's messenger to his people. Isaiah was given a very difficult mission. He had to tell people who believed they were blessed by God that instead God was going to destroy them because of their disobedience. Isn't that such like almost an oxymoron? Because here, you know, the great king was a godly man, ends up with leprosy, the the children of Israel, they turned their back on God, and yet now here again, just like Jonah, He's walking right into Nineveh. He's walking right into Sodom and Gomorrah. He's walking right into just a bath of sin. There's corruptness going on. Uh, People are rioting. People are acting crazy. People are protesting. People are uh, just so bathed in sin that they can't see the glory of the Father. Some of you, right away when I said protest, it made you get some sort of feeling. Because you're like, well, here he goes. Where's pastor going to go with this? Here's where I'm going with it. If God will get a hold of this great nation in the midst of a time where people have turned their backs on God, a great revival will take place like the Welsh revival of old. Amen? Amen? Church, my cry to you is this. That in order for us to have revival... In order for us to move forward, it has to be personal. You are the body of Christ. You are the church. And we as a body must leave an impact, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. This is where we're missing it today. We're afraid to speak out for fear. For fear. We're afraid to speak out for fear of what someone will say about us or to us. You see... Social media, the news, and other people have made it difficult for us to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ freely. They want to mute us. And you're like, who's they? I always say this, the oppressor, the enemy, wants to mute the church. And if we can mute the church, then the gospel of Jesus Christ stops. What I love about this story, what I love about our prophet is this. Our prophet knows he has a commission. Here he was an armor bearer to a great king. And yet, in the midst of having a great king, he ends up sick. And it's right in that moment of weakness, such as the oppressor, the enemy, Satan, who's like a roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour. As soon as we get sick, he comes in and he'll snatch you right up. Here's where we miss what's happening. In the midst of trials and tribulations is where we start to see the glory of the Father, the Shekinah glory, the power of the Holy Spirit start to rain down from heaven and then nations start to be saved. People start to change. But what happens when we listen to the oppressor who tries to muzzle us and mute us, we no longer have a story or the gospel to share. So we have a responsibility, and I love that we are all together. Church, we're together today because He's holy, holy, holy. He's Lord God Almighty. Isn't it amazing? Man, I could just, as I got up this morning, I said, God, I don't know where to go. I don't know if I should talk about personal revival, public revival, uh, where there is no vision the people perish, a fresh vision for revival. I don't know where I'm going, but you do, so here we go. I'm telling you, you ought to be in my shoes sometimes. It's difficult. You want to speak where God wants there to be a movement. Revival can start with one person. So many people put an emphasis on people, plural, persons. But what God wants to do is he wants to change us. What if everything we said, we put aside our pride? I don't care if you're a republic, democrat, independent socialistic, communistic, capitalistic, whatever listic you are. It doesn't matter. You need to be relationistic with Jesus Christ. I don't know where that just came in there. We need to be sold out for the kingdom of God. Seek you first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. Amen. Amen. Isn't it great to be able to say that in our church? We should be one nation under God. And I love getting up here and just bragging on my Heavenly Father because I know that in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the midst of Nineveh, in the midst of a time where here we are in Isaiah 6 where they've lost their way. And God rises up a man in the midst of such tragedy. So in Isaiah chapter 6, let's just read verses 1 through 8. Unless I really enjoy this, and I'm going to keep going, right? So let me move this just a little bit so it stops popping here. And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. And then I will go back and I will reference the King James Version. But for the narrative this morning, I will start off with the NLT, okay? And uh, this is where Isaiah's cleansing comes and his call comes. Let's try to make this personal for us today. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, Holy, Holy. Is the Lord of Heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And in verse 4 it says, Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And in verse 5, Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of Heaven's armies. And one of the seraphim flew to me. With a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? And who will go for us? And He said, Here I am. Send me. Here I am. Use me. Isaiah's lofty view of God found in verses 1 through 4 gives us a sense of God's greatness, his mystery of God's power. Isaiah's example of recognizing his sinfulness before God encourages us to what? To confess our sin. His picture of forgiveness reminds us that we too are forgiven. And when we recognize how great our God is, how sinful we are, and that the extent of God's forgiveness, we receive power to do his work. So how does your concept of the greatness of God measure up to Isaiah? In a time such as ours, and a time such as theirs, there was moral and spiritual decay. It had peaked it was more important for Isaiah to see God in His holiness. Holy, holy, holy. I could say that over... I mean, when we sing a song that's so repetitive, that He is Lord God Almighty, that He is holy. I love that song, Agnes Day. That that song, just I feel like it just pulls you, brings you, welcomes you into the throne room of God. Holiness means morally perfect, morally pure, and set apart from all sin. We need to discover today God's holiness due to our daily pressures, due to our stress, due to our frustrations and shortcomings. Here's what's happened to all of us. We've narrowed our view of God. Because of our frustrations, because of our sin, because of our stress, because of our frustrations, we've narrowed our view of God. So I, I'm asking you to allow God to empower you to deal with your daily problems and concerns. I'm asking God to allow us to deal with our daily problems and our daily concerns. And church, if you view God properly, he will purify us. He will cleanse our minds and enable us to worship him freely and to serve him abundantly. Amen. That we'll be able to what? What? to worship Him freely and to serve Him abundantly. Will you allow God to be part of the worship this morning? I'm asking my sister to come forward. We're going to sing a song we haven't sung in a long time. But, I decided to incorporate it in our message. We don't sing as much as we used to and it's been a long time. But I will say that when I think of this song, I, I think of the reference. And let me kind of break down what the Scriptures have to say. In the Scriptures, it says, holy, holy, holy. And in, in the narrative, it also reads that here He is holy. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when God starts to speak in Isaiah, He used the word us. He didn't use the word I. Interesting, huh? So what he was doing in the Old Testament, he was identifying the three in one. He identified the Trinity right there in the Old Testament. So as we sing, I often wonder that if we realize that God sent His only begotten Son to give us life and to give it to us abundantly, do we understand the holiness of God? Are we set apart? And every time He felt the nails in His hands, did He say, you know what, I did this for the sins of the world. I did this for the sins of the people. And so today we sing a song called, Does He Still Feel the Nails Every Time I Fail? Did He feel the pain as soon as Isaiah went into the Holy of Holies? And right there, right then, as Isaiah was being called and he finally surrendered, I believe that because of The experience that he had with the seraphim, with with the, the cherubim, with the angels, that he sensed the presence of God. And so today in this church service, I don't want to have church. I want to experience the presence of God. I hope you do too. Listen closely.
1: Does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Can he hear the crowd cry, crucified again? Am I causing him pain? I know I've got. I'm so good at breaking from sins, And I treat His precious grace So okay carelessly But each time He forgives What if He The agony He felt On that tree, does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Can he hear the crowd cry, crucified again? Am I causing? I know I've got to change. I can't bear the thought of her.
0: serve the Lord because I love the Lord. But in that, in the lyrics to that song, it says, does he still feel the pain every time I fail him? But I'm so thankful that I serve a God who is perfect, who is pure, who is holy, who is set apart for mankind for humanity to give us life and to give it abundantly. And we see here in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 3, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth sees the glory of the Father. And we can all go through times of spiritual decline, of spiritual disobedience, But when we find ourselves stuck in a rut of sinfulness, what do we need? We need revival. We need change. There are numerous instances of revival in the Bible that we could study. But today I have selected Isaiah 6 as a description of revival. You see, revival usually begins in the heart of one individual before it spreads into the heart. Of others. Isaiah 6 provides a paradigm for us to better understand the truth. So let's open up our hearts. So let's just pray and ask God to speak to us in the next few minutes as we speak on a fresh vision for revival. God, we need you today. Lord, we love you today. Lord, we welcome you here today. Lord, I I just Lord, I need you to speak through me today. Let us see this narrative. I it's simple. Yet it's deep, it's profound, and yet it's in the temple where the prophet Isaiah gets to sense your presence and your power. So God, just open up our hearts today. Let revival start in us. Let us declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us speak of it in spirit and in truth. Let the world hear. Let the world see that our light isn't blown out. That our light hasn't gone dim. That, Lord, we are charged, we are bright, and we are in a sense of revival, excited, enthusiastic, and energized because of your spirit. So God, speak to us today. Speak to your people. Make this our own individual reflection in our walk with you. And all God's people said, Amen. Point number one, and I'm going to go through these quick today. I know some of you are probably saying, sure, you are a preacher. We know how you speak. But anyhow, it says, our need for a fresh touch from God And when you look here in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The context of revival in Isaiah 6 was in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah's vision was prompted by a crisis. Do you hear what I'm saying? Isaiah's vision was prompted by a crisis. King Uzziah died. Here was his death. After a long reign of peace and after a long reign of prosperity, the king had died. And now there was uncertainty. The uncertainty drove Isaiah to seek God. Isaiah knew he needed a fresh touch from God. How many of you would say this morning, I need a fresh touch from God? Amen. Each and every one of us. That's why we're here. That is the starting point to a sense of need. A sense of desire. Is God working in your life, causing circumstances to give you a sense of need? Many of us face trials. Many of us face tribulations. Many of us have, have, we've hit rock bottom. We were on the mountain once and now we're in the valley and we've lost everything. The, the world looks dark. Our life looks dark. But yet, in the midst of the hardship and the tribulation and the trial that you're going through, now you get to experience God for who He truly is. And it's in those hardships. That we need that sense of need and sense of desire. We can come to church and practice church, but we need to come to church and be the church. We need to come and embrace that relationship with Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about this message, and I hope I'm not going ahead of myself here, but I know that in life we have habits, there's hurts, there's hang ups, there's pain. But yet, here was a man who saw the example of his king. He was the armor bearer, and he had such great respect for this man. He saw his example, and yet there still was question. How many of you know, how, just by raise of hands, do you understand what the Holy of Holies is, the temple, and how that process actually worked out? And there, Okay, let me kind of demonstrate it. And Aaron does such a great description of it. And I'm going to throw this in there today. And I'll watch my time, but uh, I'll watch the time go right into 1 o'clock, right? Just kidding. Uh, So, you know, as they walk into the Holy of Holies, this is the temple. Now, remember that the children of Israel, they actually set up, you know, their, their temple. Even in the wilderness, this is a place that in the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was stored, which was the tablet, the script, the law. It was the Ten Commandments. And so, I wasn't going here today, but I just kind of wanted to show you how this works. And so, as soon as you go and and you present your sacrifice to God in the Old Testament, and we realize that in the New Testament, Jesus Christ becomes the Lamb of God. He's the ultimate sacrifice for us that washed all of our sins as white as snow. Isn't Isn't that cool? He was the Lamb that died for us. Now, let me also show you, as soon as you went into the Holy, you started to cleanse yourself. Much like today, before you walk into a store, you better gear up, strap up, put your mask on, get your gloves on, get your hand sanitizer, be ready to cleanse yourself. Right? So I'm just kind of showing you all, all that they went into. They, so they washed, they bathed. They took the, the best of their fruit, the best of their, their meat, and so they were journeying through, and it had several different rooms. Amazing, isn't it? So by the time you actually enter into the holy of holies your heart should at this point be right confessed cleansed and what you're presenting now should be in the right spirit Just think about this church could you imagine what we would have to do to come into this sanctuary Now there is such a valuable principle to learn here that many of us miss that Before you walked into the holy of holies, into the room, they wrapped a rope around you. And many of the biblical characters that went in, if their hearts weren't cleansed and right with God, he struck them dead. Amazing, isn't it? And so what the high priest did then, they would pull them out by the rope. Well, I want to tell all of you something. The Bible says for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. I am glad that's the old and we're in the new. Hallelujah. I need all the grace I can get because I'm a sinner. I'm serious. I mean, where is the... I'm like, holy moly. I mean, just think before you get in there. You know what? I'm going to just confess this to everybody in the church. You haven't heard this before. But if I didn't have IBS, I'd have it before I got in that room we'd be doing a lot of cleansing. You know what I'm saying? I just had to throw that in there because I would be scared. Get it to death. just Because I know what a sinner I am. I know what I've done in my own life. Y'all don't want to be in my head and I don't want to be in your head. Nobody wants to be in each other's heads because we know our noggins are not right thinkers. Amen? That's why Romans 12 says, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies, by the love of God, That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hallelujah. We all need that renewing every single day. We realize that we have to have a desire. And so here the prophet is scared, stinking to death, thinking, what is going to happen here right now? So point number one, we noticed our need for a fresh touch from God. He saw that. Number two, God as he really is. So we notice from verse 1 to verse 4, we start to see the sovereignty of God. And we don't have time to examine every aspect of Isaiah's vision, but two things are really apparent this morning. That God is on the throne and he is sovereign. And so we see it here. God was not worried about the death of Israel's leader. It didn't catch him by surprise. Neither is he surprised about the chaos that's going on right now. Because you know why? He's got the
1: whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world
0: in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. hands. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, stop. Awesome. Man, this church needs to go on the road. Think about it. I love talking about how powerful our God is. You know, we, we teach our children that he's got the whole world in his hands, but when we get to this age, we're so fearful and afraid, and we don't even know that he has the whole world in his hands, any more than Isaiah said, I need to make sure that he's got the whole wide world in his hands. So we see that God is on the throne. He is sovereign. He is still here today as he was there. The circumstances of life may be falling apart around you. Maybe they have already fallen apart. Maybe you've turned back around, but God is on the throne. He is in control. I'm thankful for that. And I just want to remind each and every person today that all you need to do is to be still. And know that He is God. To be still and know that He is God. War and destruction. It is inevitable. We've seen it from the Korean Wars to Vietnam War to World War II to World War I. I mean, we have seen it over and over again. The Old Testament is full of war. And even though it's inevitable... God has the final say. And we're on the winning team. I'm going to say that now probably forever. The victory is His. At that time, all will stand quietly before the Lord God Almighty. And if that be the case, how proper for us to be still now, reverently honoring Him and His power and His majesty. So I'm going to challenge all of you to just take time to be still. Take time to exalt God. See where he's at. So we, we've seen here that he's sovereign. We've seen here that he sits on the throne. But we also realize that God is holy. God, I just want to say, I love bragging about you. I love bragging about you. I love, you know, so many messages are so applicable to us. You know, And, and for all of us preachers, we're taught... That we must reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You know, make sure you have your three points. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. And I, for me, just throw it all out. Let's just talk about his word and let's just brag on God. You know, and and just how sovereign he is and how holy he is. It says there in verse 2, above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings. They covered their face. They covered their feet. They covered their body. They flew around just with the two. And then they cried to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Great is the realization that God is on the throne. That was not the most prominent realization that gripped Isaiah. It was God's holiness that captivated him. Note the actions of the seraphim's. Even these angelic beings must cover their faces in the light of God's holiness. The foundation shook, showing this awesome holiness of God. Think about this for just a minute. Inanimate pillars, posts made out of stone, tremble in the presence of almighty, all-powerful God. And yet some people's hearts are so hard that they remain motionless in God's presence. We as a church have got to stop the chaos. We've got to stop believing what the world has to say and know that in God's presence that there is power. He is here and as much as he is and was there. Number 3. We'll be looking at verse 5. And it says here in verse 5, Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. For I am destroyed, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. So number three, our sinfulness and need for cleansing. We can only see ourselves correctly after we have seen God. Do you hear me? We can only see ourselves correctly after we have seen God. We can no longer compare ourselves to others. The Bible says they that compare themselves among themselves are what? Not wise. But only to His holiness. In Isaiah chapter 5, pronounced woes on other people six different times. Now all He can say is, woe is me. And when we find ourselves in the presence of, Of a holy God, we become aware of even the smallest sin. Things that have long been tolerated or excused as little things are openly admitted to be sin that must be dealt with. They must be confessed and repented so that God's cleansing can come. So Isaiah saw it. He witnessed it. He saw the robe. He saw the glory of the Father. He witnessed the Spirit. He witnessed Jesus Christ. It's all right here in the Scriptures in verse 8. He said, unto us. So we we start to see the Bible unfold and we start to see the majesty of God. Isn't it great? How many of you want to experience the majesty of God? I do. When I get done with a church service, I don't want to just have church. Man, I know I say that over and over. I want to feel the spirit power, the presence, the spirit of God. And I hope that you can, that is your driving force. That's what you thrive for. When I pull in this parking lot, I just want to sense the presence and power of God. This is his property. This is his sanctuary. That is his parsonage. These are his trees. That is his shelter. It is all his and all the cool animals that run all over this place are all under his control so amazing it's so humbling for me so when i get to pull in the parking lot and walk around the song just comes to my mind: majesty worship his majesty unto jesus be all glory all honor all praise it's humbling man stand behind a choir whatever the thing's called music stand Play your worship music by an AM, FM, CD stereo as the congregation of 20 people. 27 to be exact. We were counting numbers then. And the lawnmowers harmonizing with us next door from the guy who is mowing the lawn. And here we are in a cool, and I mean cool, 70-degree sanctuary where people like my niece have to cover up with a blanket. And her uncle sweats to death up here. That's how that goes. But I'm not on the back of a deck any longer because the journey is real. For we realize the holiness of God. It is not in our power. It is not in our might. It is in God Almighty. And if you are here today and you've gone through any type of recovery program, if you've gone through any type of addiction, you understand That what you've gone through wasn't because of you. It was because of Jesus Christ who delivered you from all of that junk in your trunk. Amen? Because that's our God. That is recovery. That's how God works in us. And if God isn't speaking to you today, say, Lord, I need to look in the mirror. I need a fresh vision for revival. I need to look at myself. I have made everybody else my focus. God Open up my heart. Let me see the seraphim. Let me see the cherubim. Let me see the angels. Let me see your glory. Let me fill your presence. Fill this room. Fill my heart. Fill my life. And you'll start to see and sense how powerful God truly is. So we need to be cleansed. Number four, God's gracious provision. In verse 6 and 7, It says, Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. In verse 7 it says, He was atoned, for he was covered. God does not reveal himself to destroy us but to cleanse us just as the angel touched a coal from the altar to Isaiah's mouth and pronounced him forgiven. What if you've really messed up? Don't despair. Don't worry about it. What if you've messed up? Don't try to hide it, but confess your sin and remember that the blood of Jesus Christ washes you white as sin. Snow. Oh. And today so many things are changing. Washes you as Plain as snow. I guess I can't use that word. In Isaiah 1.18 it says this. God removes your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. God removes the sin from you as far as the east is from the west. In Psalms 103 verse 12. He said he removes our transgressions from us. East and west can never meet, right? Right? There's a symbolic picture of God's forgiveness. He separates it from us and doesn't even remember it. So I'm asking you this morning, and I'm encouraging you not to live in the past nor wallow in it. For God forgives and God forgets. When we forgive others, we must also forget the sin. You know, In, in his word he says, if we shall confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number five. We hear God's voice, so we start to see God play out here. And it says, here's what it says. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with the tongs from off of the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. And in verse 8 it says this. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, When our sin is confessed and our hearts are right, we can now hear God's voice with a new sensitivity. As with Isaiah, God wants us to hear His call to service. We live in a dying world that needs to be revived. When was the last time, when was the last time, church, that you heard the voice of God? Not you praying to Him, but just be still. And just listen. I remember going to my, my prayer closet, and as I knelt down, and I, I just said, God, I'm going to sit here for a while. I'm not saying anything. It's not about me today. It's about you. And I just sat in that moment quiet. Quiet for some time. And just said, oh God, reveal Yourself to me. Reveal Yourself to me. Let me see You sense Your presence. And I just was in there. I don't even remember how long it was. But then I started to feel and sense the presence of God. And maybe you said, I've done that. And I sat in there for, you know, 25 minutes. And I sat on my legs and they went to sleep. It was killing me. Maybe it was a 26 minute he could have showed up. Let's not put time limits on God. Let God start to work and to reveal himself in us. And the last point, we respond with joyful obedience. Number six, we respond with joyful obedience. Then I'm going to tie both of these together. And here's what he said in the latter part of verse 8. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Woo! Take your Bible, circle that. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Whom will go for us? Notice this. Who will go for us? He didn't speak as singular. He spoke in three parts. And so that's where, remember, God the Father sits on the throne. We have Jesus Christ. The Bible says sits at the right hand of the Holy Spirit that's there to bear witness with one another. To discern and to speak on our behalf as we can go to the Father through the Trinity. Not speaking on that today, but I do believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe they're three in one. I believe much like what the egg has to say. You can't have the yolk without the white and the shell. It all works well together. And so here he started to say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He put that in question form. And here is what he said, here am I, send me. You can never be the same after an encounter with God. Your life will be changed. The realization that your sins are forgiven will make you eager to respond in gratitude to the Lord's call. You see, Isaiah doesn't know anything about his mission. But none of that mattered at all to him. He is available to God to be used however God chooses. He was available to be used however God chooses. Are you at that point this morning? Are you at that point this morning? Are you ready to yield yourself to God wholeheartedly? The more clearly here, Isaiah saw God. The more aware Isaiah became of his own powerlessness and inadequacies to do anything of lasting value without God. But he was willing to be God's spokesman. When when God starts to call us, will you say, here am I. Send me. Here am I send me. So I'm going to close this morning. And as I close, I'm just going to say that I have heard God. He has spoke to me. I knew I needed to move at 15 years of age from the road that was right here. And I tell you guys this because that's true surrender. And as I stood there in that auditorium, I felt this sense of God saying, Oh, no, you will surrender today. And I said, Oh, no, I won't. He said, Oh, yes, you will. And I said, Oh, no, I won't. He said, Oh, yes, you will. We went back and forth. I know the church service did not go on for one hour, but it sure felt like it to me because this time that we were arguing with each other, well, he wasn't arguing with me. He was telling me, and he was saying, What are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for us? And it took me to move out of my seat. And as a 15-year-old teenage boy come up to the altar and say, here am I, send me God send me wherever and I started thinking about that this morning and I thought, how bizarre is that here am I, send me he didn't say, here am I use me woo, watch make this personal here am I send me I love the word send It's not an adverb, adjective. It is a verb. It's action. It's God saying, you have a responsibility. What is that responsibility going to be? In a place like Sodom and Gomorrah, it starts off in the Scriptures, right in Isaiah, calling the whole area. This is much like Sodom and Gomorrah. What are you going to do? And He said, here I am, Lord. I've seen your glory. Let me tell you something. If I saw angels with six wings flying around. You only have two choices. You better get your bum down on that floor and surrender or you better run screaming like a little girl. So I think Isaiah really was challenged within his humanity and his sinful nature. And right then, remember what I said? That here he was in the Holy of Holies. God already knew his heart. He was a great guy. He was a great armor bearer. And the angels took that hot stone. You see in the scripture it says, iron sharpeneth iron. He has to go through the refiner's fire, right? Church, I know that sometimes you cry out and say, God, I need you. I need you to reveal yourself to me. Things just aren't going like they should. Why aren't things better? I've been praying to you, you. Listen, God has you right where he wants you. See, if he starts to answer your prayer, you'll forget about him like you did the previous six months, year, two years. So God brings you to this point to say, Here I am, God. Here I am. A sense of humility at its best. There was Isaiah. Such a cool message in just eight small verses. But God wants to use us in a way that the world can see the power of God. You heard me say last week in a message that nobody steps on this property that they don't get a tour. So this past week, Megan had a couple friends and so they pulled onto the property. I was out here talking to Drew, the landscaper. So as he's, we're talking, they came in and I'm like, what's she doing? She showed him the pavilion and she's out back showing, and they're in the car getting ready to leave. I'm like, oh no, you didn't. Oh no, you didn't. People need to see the power of God. So I walked over and I went like this, and I loved this because I really used my power at that moment. This was daddy power. I'm like, daughter, uh, come here. She comes. Up, yeah, Dad, will you? Um, Did you show them the inside of the church? And she's like, um, Well, you know, she was here in the fall. She saw, it, but her brother didn't. I said, Good. Come on, I'm going to unlock the building. See, they didn't even have time to say anything to me So I came in, I unlocked the building And as I walked in, they all followed And I stood right back there Where Troy, our usher's at And I said, let me tell you the story Of what God has done Want to hear the power of God? What are they going to say? Not really We don't even really care, this ain't our church We're from Lakewood, Ohio But they're like, and I love this Because they look at me, they're like, yeah And I'm thinking, good, because you're stuck So I'm like Listen to what God has done and what God is doing in the midst of chaos in the world. And after these two teenagers heard the story, really, I think they were saying, thank God it's over with. I'm out of here. But you know what? They both thanked me. We all walked out together. But I, I know I have a responsibility. I know in my sinful life and in my nature I know who I can become. I know the ugly, mean, angry, proud, arrogant guy I can become. But I also know that was the old guy. And I'm not looking back in a rearview mirror. I'm looking through that windshield that's bigger than life, where God is at the finish line, waiting for the victorious story of His redemptive power. We've got to walk in spirit and in truth. And today, if you as a church will remember what the psalmist says in Psalms 139, 23, 24, it says, listen, search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Now here's what the psalmist says. Try me and know my thoughts. Oh God, just try me. You know my thoughts. You know my motives. You know my spirit. And in verse 24, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way to everlasting. Lead me in the way of victory. Lead me in the way where I can run. For Father, I know You're powerful. And it was after that that this narrative just grows and Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets of old, was not, had a story. And the story after that, it says, There shall come forth a son. Out of the ground shall come forth the Son. His name shall be called Jesus. For He shall come and save all of His people. And remember this. Every time He feels the nails, He'll remember what He's done for His people. For God loved the world. For God demonstrated His love for us. While we were sinners, He died for us. Do you believe that? Do you receive it? The dare of revival is to ask God to search us and see if there is anything offensive to Him in our lives. Do you hear what I'm saying? As we rise to our feet and we have this altar call, the dare of revival is to ask God to search us and see if there is anything offensive to Him in our lives. Cleanse your heart. Cleanse your life. Walk in victory. Walk in freedom. We have hope and the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we come before You. Lord, we just thank You that You from the heavens, in the quietness of this room, in our seats, Lord, as we reflect upon our own lives, thank You that we realize that in Your holiness we are unholy. But God, we also realize that we can achieve, You said, Be still. Know that you are God. Be holy for I am holy. Be sold out, separated. Just proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. So God, help us, encourage us, challenge us today to walk in victory, to live a life. Lord, it's not about us, it's about other people. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus, to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. In your holy name we pray, amen.